Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, if you were at this particular Henry Ford plant in the early 1900s, his manufacturing plant in Dearborn, Michigan, you would have heard a lot of chatter because there was a major problem they were having at this particular manufacturing plant. Henry Ford had a very large, massive generator, and it was causing them all sorts of issues. The best and brightest of the engineers on the team could not pinpoint what the problem was. They had tried and tried and failed and failed. And after a good bit of time and no small amount of frustration, someone made a suggestion. Why don't we contact Charles Steinmetz? Now that name may not mean much to you unless you are involved in the world of electrical engineering, but Steinmetz name. He was a German immigrant. His name was in the same circle of names like Edison, Tesla, Westinghouse. This guy was friends with Albert Einstein. This guy could hold his own with Albert Einstein. This was a brilliant mind. And someone said, we can't figure out what's wrong with the generator. Let's call Charles Steinmetz. So they communicated with him. He showed up at the plant there in in Michigan. He walks in, the engineers take him aside and they said, we want to tell you everything we've done up to this point. We want to tell you the nature of the problem. He waved them all off. He said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you've done. I don't want to hear what the problem is. I just need three things. I need you to bring me a, a pencil. I need a notebook and I need a cot. So they provided him with those three things. He set the cot up in the same room with this gigantic generator, and he wanted to be left alone. So for two days and two nights, he stayed there in the room with the generator, sleeping at night on his cot, listening to that generator as it was trying to function, and there were problems again with it, but so he's listening to the sounds that it's making. Sometime around the the second night, After he'd been scribbling computations and calculations in his notebook, he asked that a ladder be brought. They bring him a ladder, he takes it, he leans it against this gigantic generator, he climbs up this generator, he pulls out a piece of chalk from his pocket and he makes a single mark on a small panel on the housing of the generator. He crawls down, he tells the engineers, if you remove that panel and if you replace 16 coils at that place, it'll fix your problem. Well, they were skeptical, but they had tried everything else, so they did what he said. And sure enough, when they replaced those 16 coils underneath that little panel, underneath that little chalk mark, it fixed the problem. It worked perfectly. Well, it wasn't long after that they got a bill in the mail from Steinmetz for services rendered for $10,000. Now, $10,000 would be a lot today for a repair bill. $10,000 in the early 1920s was extraordinary. And so he got, they got a bill, Henry Ford got a bill for $10,000. And Henry Ford looked at it and then communicated with Steinmetz and said, we got your bill. 
perhaps you could itemize this bill because it seems high. So Steinmetz complied. He sent them an itemized bill with two bullet points. The first one was making one mark on your machine, $1. Knowing where to put the mark, $9,999. Henry Ford paid the bill. Knowing where to put the mark was the most valuable thing. And I think sometimes what happens as we've been uh, starting last week, we started our series on the war for joy. I think so often what happens in our lives, whenever we don't have joy, we don't know where to put the mark. When we're wrestling with a lack of joy, we don't know where the problem lies. And we may put the mark here, we may put the mark there and say, I think the problem is this. I I think the problem is that. If I could only do this, then I would have joy. Well, thankfully, God's word puts the mark where it's supposed to be. God's word helps us pinpoint why we may or may not have joy. And so this morning, I want us to look at that. I want us to look at when God's word knows where to put the mark as to what our problem may be with joy, why we have it and why we're living in it or why we don't have it and need to gain it. And I want us to look at just one verse. It's from Psalm 40, a Psalm of David. And that verse is Psalm 40, verse eight. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, a quick recap as we're talking about joy. We said last week it's important that we know exactly what joy is. We said, first of all, joy is not just an emotion. It's not something that comes and goes. We said that joy is not based upon circumstances. Happiness is based upon circumstances, Biblical joy is never based upon circumstances. We said biblical joy is based upon a relationship that we have with Christ. And then we defined biblical joy. We said biblical joy could be said to be abiding delight by abiding in Christ. That abiding delight, that abide, that, that delight that stays put, that delight that is constant, that delight that no matter I'm in, if I'm in the middle of grief, I can still have joy. If I'm in the middle of physical pain, I can still have joy. If I'm in the middle of a struggle, I can still have joy because joy is not based on any of those things. Joy is based upon staying put, abiding in Christ. Having a love relationship with Christ that is deepening, that is growing, that is vibrant, and that constant is what produces the byproduct of joy. Joy is never the prime product. Joy is never the goal. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I just, my goal in life is I just want to be happy. We talked about this last week. Why would we settle for happiness when God offers joy? Because we, so many times we equate joy and happiness. We say, I just want to be happy. If I could just be happy. Happiness is based upon circumstances. Joy is always based upon something that is constant And that is a relationship with Jesus. So abiding delight by abiding in Christ. What evidence, though, do we show if we are abiding in Christ? What evidence will we show, will our lives show, if we have that abiding delight by abiding in Christ 
What is that evidence? Well, not only is this the evidence, this is the way that God produces joy in us. So it's not only what we see if we have joy, it is the methodology, if you will. Now, I'm not saying it's mechanisms. I'm not saying I just do this, this, and this without any change of heart. I do this, this, and this. I check my check boxes. I insert tab A into slot B, and I turn crank C, and out pops the product. That's not what I'm saying. It is a relationship. But there are certain aspects of this relationship with Christ, with this relationship with God, that if we see that in our lives, we will see joy. And the first question that we have to ask ourselves is this, does my life display increasing desire to know God? Do I have an increasing desire to know God? David writes in Psalm 40, back in verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. It's a possessive. My God. God, you are my God. God, you are the one that I am following. God, you are the one I know as my God. But not only does David know God, God knows him. And it's so important that we understand that one of the aspects of joy is that relationship with Christ. And it's not just, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I've made that decision. But are we seeking to know him? Am I growing in my desire to know God? Have you ever prayed, God, I want to know you more deeply. God, I want to know who you are in a clear way. God, I want to see you more clearly. Is there a growing desire in your heart to know God? Back in Psalm chapter 1, or the first Psalm, verse 2 it's talking about a righteous person, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. How do we know God? We know God primarily through his word. We don't know God primarily through an impression. We don't know God primarily through some feeling we have. We know God primarily through his word. I mentioned this one time back when I was in Knoxville. I, I mentioned this in a class one time and a, a guy came up to me afterwards and he says, I just want you to know I've graduated from that. I said, you've graduated from what? He said, I've graduated from having to read God's word. God communicates to me directly. I no longer even have to read the Bible. I have such a deep relationship with God that I don't even have to read the Bible. I never have to read his word. He just tells me this truth directly. And I told him, and I, you may have heard me mention this phrase before. I told him, I said, at best, that's going to put you in theological error. He said, well, what do you mean at best? I said, the best thing that can happen with this is that you are going to be led into theological error. He said, what's the worst? I said, that you start a cult. That's it. This is how cults get started. I don't need God's word. I don't need God's truth. I don't need the authority of God's word. I'll just, I just have my own thing going on. No, we depend upon God's word. And God's word is the primary tool by which we know God. God has revealed himself to us through his word. So is there a growing desire for God? Listen to Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. Notice those things are connected. Greatly fearing the Lord and delighting in his commandments. There's a connection that we find all throughout Scripture in knowing God, delighting in God, loving God, following God, and his commandments and God's word. Because if you desire to know God more deeply, you will desire his word more deeply. 
Now, it's an important thing. We look at this word delight. I used it in the definition of joy. When we say, what is delight? Isn't delight, isn't that, isn't that an emotion? Because he, here he says in Psalm 112, uh, who, blessed is man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Let me give you a good definition for delight. Mindful excitement. That's, the, that's kind of a Jewish, uh, the Jewish Hebrew approach to that. Mindful excitement. It's not just excitement, it's informed excitement. It's not just I'm, I'm excited about something, I'm having an emotion, and, I'm, and it may pass. No, it's, it's mindful excitement. When you delight in the Word of God, you are thinking mindfully excited because you understand. You, you see the truth, you know the truth, you're mindfully excited. And so we find that whenever we're delighting in the Word of God or we're delighting in the presence of God, it should be mindful excitement it should be informed excitement no i know some people say well that just sounds so dull it sounds so dull can i just tell you it's never dull whenever you're following god and you are experiencing that knowledge of the holy one that's not dull that's not boring god is the most uh, and understand what i mean when i said he's the most interesting being in the entire universe you're never going to run out of things to learn about God. You're, you're never going to exhaust God's greatness. You're never going to be underwhelmed by God's grandeur. You're never going to look at the glory of God and say, it's not that big of a deal. No. God is infinitely amazing. He's infinitely awe-inspiring. And so the fear of the Lord, that reverential, awestruck fear of God is something that we can have and we can live in and it will bring us joy and the way that we know god primarily is through his word we'll talk more about his word in uh just a moment when we get to the next point listen to jeremiah 15 verse 6 16 i'm sorry 15 16 your words were found and i ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart look at what jeremiah says for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I'm called by your name. There's a relational aspect going on there. There's a desire to know God going on there. And again, have you ever just prayed, God, I want to know you more deeply. God will honor that prayer. And one of the ways that he does that is he takes you back to his word. Psalm 119, verse 10, the psalmist writes, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart. Do you, are you seeking God with a whole heart? With an undivided heart? With a heart that is focused, first of all, on God. And then allowing God to work everything else out. That's the same idea that we find in Psalm six, uh, 73. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Can you, can you say that? Could you say that to God? God, my desire for you outweighs my desire for anything or anybody else. God, I desire you more than anybody else. God, I want you more than anybody else. God, I want to know you more than anybody else. I had a conversation with somebody uh, just not that long ago. And, and we were talking about knowing God. And, and I just made the comment, and, and it's, a tr- it's a true statement. God is more real to me at this point in time in my life than any human that I know. God is just that real. And people are like, well, I, I, I wish I had that. Can I just tell you why he's that real? 
through his word. Staying in his word, loving his word, loving, staying in his presence, in the presence of his word. And, and, and God is that real. He is more real. Can, can you say, God, I just want to know you more deeply. God, I want to know you. God, I want, to, I want to see you for who you are as you reveal yourself in your word. Does your life display an increasing desire to know God? Secondly, does my life display faithful obedience to the word of God? Not just a desire for God, but an obedience to his word. Not just that desire to know him more through his word, but a faithful obedience to his word. David again in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. I delight to obey you, God. Sometimes when you talk to people about the will of God, they act as though the will of God is something that is hanging over their head As though they are a belligerent child and a parent has given them a bunch of rules and regulations to follow that they don't want to. And they're doing it begrudgingly and they're doing it with a wrong attitude and they're doing it just because he said so. That's, That's the way we regard the will of God so many times. That's not what you find so often in God's word. What you find is, I delight to do your will. You'll delight to do his will when you delight in him. When you start delighting in his will and you recognize no matter what God says, that's the best thing. When God says no, if it's a no from God, we should celebrate a no from God just as much as we celebrate a yes from God. Because God's giving direction. God's giving us understanding. God's giving us wisdom. And so we need to understand that we're doing God's will and we're following God's will. It is absolutely the best thing for us. Now, I know sometimes we say, yeah, but take a missionary. You take one of these missionaries, they're following the will of God, and, and they got killed. Can I, can I just tell you? It would be better to be in the will of God and die for the cause of the gospel than to be safely sitting on your couch out of the will of God, living for yourself. Because the will of God is just that. It is exactly what God would have. It's been said that the will of God is exactly what we ourselves would choose if we had all the information. If we knew all the information, if we knew everything that God knew, we would choose his will every single time. It's because we don't understand. We don't know. There are things that we have to just take on faith. And there are some things that maybe we have our own ideas, our own agendas, our own opinions, our own expectations. And God says, you got to put all those aside and follow my will. Because if we understood everything, if we understood reality with a clarity that God understands reality, we would choose his will every single time. So are we looking at God's will? Are we looking at his commands? And are we saying, yes, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow you. We looked at this passage last week, John 15, verse 10, the words of Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Now, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about what what does the joy of the Lord actually mean. That my joy may be in you. And look at this last phrase, and that your joy may be full. I mentioned this verse in passing last week. But let me give you the word picture. A lot of times in, in the Greek, you have certain words that are associated with a word picture, a vivid word picture, so you can remember what it means. And the word picture that is associated with this word for full is the word picture of a net, like one of the big nets that 
would be coming on the Sea of Galilee when they would, they would cast their nets out and they would bring the fish in. It is the word that is used or that pictures a net that has been thrown out on the water and that is filled to the brim almost to the point of breaking. It's a word that literally means crammed full of something. Jesus says, if you're abiding in my love, the evidence of abiding in my love is going to be following my commands. You're going to follow my word. And if you're following my word, you're abiding in my love, then you're going to have that abiding delight by abiding in Christ, that joy. And not only are you going to have joy, your joy is going to fill your net full. You will be crammed full of joy. You will be crammed full, your life will be crammed full of a life that is, that is this abiding delight as you abide in Christ. The problem is we fill our net with all sorts of other stuff. We run to this, we run to that, we try to take that and we say, well, I'll just add this and I'll add this and I'll add this and if I add these things, then, then I will eventually have joy. But can I tell you, that's just like pouring water through a sieve. It just flows right through. Anything other than God that I am trying to seek in order to maintain or gain joy will ultimately fail. It may bring me passing happiness for just a moment, but it's ultimately going to fail. I have to look to God's word and I have to trust in God and I have to have that relationship with him. And that is expressed in one way through obedience. Listen to Psalm 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life, the direction of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Those things go together. You make known to me the path of life. The way that I am to live. The way that I am to go. You give me leadership. You give me direction. You give me guidance, God. How does he do that? Primarily through his word. And then we experience his presence. We live in his presence. We abide in him. We abide in Christ. And there's fullness of joy in the presence of God. The problem comes when we want the presence without the path. The problem comes when we say, oh God, I want to know you. I want your blessings. I want your presence. I want to see your goodness. I want to see your graciousness. God, I want to, I want to see you for who you are. And God says, this is what it means to follow me. And we say, yeah, but I don't want to do that. God, I don't want to, I don't want to obey you in these areas. God, I just, I just want your presence. That's all. I just want to skip to the presence. It's like, it's like when Israel desired to live in the promised land, but they wanted the promised land without having to depend upon the promises. You don't live in the promised land without depending on the promises. That's what's called the promised land. So not only God promised it, you have to live based upon his promises. You live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so in the same way, whenever we're following Christ and we're obedient to the word of God, we understand that there's a delight in doing his will. And we have to understand if we're going to walk that path, that is the means by which we're going to experience that presence. Because if we're going off and doing our own thing and we're like, well, I just don't know why I'm not hearing from God. I don't know why I'm doing this. So many times I sit with people and they'll come and they'll say, uh, you know, I just, need, I just need prayer for direction. And we all need prayers for direction. We all need prayers for wisdom. Some of you, I mean, we, we've talked about this so many times before. If, if anybody ever asks me, how can I pray for you? I always say wisdom. Pray that I'll have wisdom. 
Well, we all need wisdom. We all need guidance. We all need leadership. We all need direction. But sometimes you'll talk to somebody and they're like, I just can't get any direction. Now, this isn't all the time, but many times. I just, I just can't get any direction from God. Well, how's your walk with God? Well, it hasn't been so good. I have been reading, when's the last time you really just kind of feasted on God's word? Well, I don't know. It may have been a year or two. How's your prayer life? Well, I, don't, I hadn't really started praying until the last couple of days when I needed to make this decision. Well, well how, how's, your, how's your walk? How are you serving him? Well, I hadn't really been serving him for the last little while. Okay, and so now suddenly a, de- a decision comes upon the doorstep, and now suddenly we get real pious. And suddenly we're like, oh, okay, God, I need your direction, I need your direction, I need your direction. But we've told him we don't want to be bothered by him for the last ever how long, and now we, we want to get in the center of his will. Listen, we have to consistently live in the will of God. We need to consistently seek to obey him and to be faithful to his word. Listen to Psalm 119. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. There it is again, that mindful excitement. I find my mindful delight, my mindful excitement in your commands, which I love. Why? Because he loves what God loves. What does God love? God loves his truth. God loves his word. God's word is authoritative. God's word is spoken with a full authority of God himself. Meaning if we deny or we discount or we disobey God's word, we're disobeying God himself. We're discounting God himself. We're ignoring God himself when we ignore God's word. That's the authority of the word of God. And so whenever we find, I'm delighting in your commandments, which I love. That's not drudgery. That's not a list of do's and don'ts. You know, so many times I think we define Christianity by what we're against. Well, we don't do this, and we don't do this, and we don't do this, and we don't do this. That's what it means to be a Christian. Can I tell you, that is not the case. There are lots of do's. There are lots of things that we do because we're followers of Christ. Not just things we avoid. We don't define righteousness by what we avoid. Righteousness is defined by receiving the righteousness, the perfect standard from Christ before God by his sacrifice, by his burial, by his resurrection, through a saving knowledge of him, through the gospel. That is how we are transformed. That's what righteousness is. It's not just the matter of things that I avoid. That's not righteousness. That's, that's not, there's a difference in being sanctified and being sanitized. Sanitized is just I avoid a bunch of things. Sanctified is I am being transformed into the likeness of Jesus himself. You can sanitize a countertop. You don't, you don't do that to your life. We are sanctified. We're set apart for a purpose in Christ. Psalm 51, verse 6. David writes, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So now it has changed. The delight that the psalmist has in following God's commands, the delight that is expressed multiple times in the Bible about how we are following his commands and trusting in him and obeying him. Now it shifts and it says, you, God, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What is God's delight? God's delight in this case, at least in this verse, God's delight is the truth being internalized god's word being taken within and internalized you're always going to externalize what is going on internally 
Your internal life will be seen externally in some shape, form, or fashion. And by the way, you will always do what you believe. You, will all, you do what you believe. Regardless of what you say you believe, you do what you believe. What you truly believe, you're going to act upon. What you truly believe, you are going to live by that standard. Now we can say, yeah, I believe this and this and this and this. I truly, I truly do believe that. But then ultimately, we, we don't. You, you live out what you truly believe. We do what we believe, regardless of what we say we believe. We do what we believe. And so this is why it's important that we have faithful obedience to the Word of God. And that Word of God is taken within us and transforms us inwardly. Which brings us to one of the last points of evidence of uh, having joy. Does my life display continued surrender to the Spirit of God? Are we continually surrendering to the Spirit of God? of God. What does that look like? Well, you find here, we've hinted at it at the end of this last passage, or the end of this last point, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. Well, how does it get within his heart? It gets within his heart because it's God's word, and God's word gets within our heart by the Spirit of God, who enables us to understand the word of God. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul says that there's the Spirit and there's the flesh, and they're warring with each other. They're never going to agree with each other. They're always going to be contrary to one another. Now, when you see that word flesh in the Bible, let me give you a quick little definition. You see the word flesh in the Bible, anytime we see it, it can be defined, it's, it's being used in one of three ways. One is, where it talks about flesh, it's talking about actual flesh, like actual meat. Where it talks about people eating flesh in the Bible, the flesh of an animal or something, it's talking about the actual meat, like think steak, all right? That's, that's what it's talking about. There's another way to use the word flesh, and, it, and whenever it's talking about flesh, it's meaning in the flesh, like flesh and blood, humanity in general. We're in the flesh. We're, we're, we're living in the flesh and blood. There's a third way, and this is the way that we're talking about right here. The third way of understanding the flesh is it's the habits of who you used to be before you come to a saving knowledge with Jesus. So the Bible talks about the old person that we were. That old person is put to death when we come to Christ. That person is dead. We are a new creation in Christ. We are not who we once were. The old person, the old man, the old woman, who we once were is dead. However, the habits, the mindset, the attitude of that person that we were, that lives on. It's been described as, as if you're ringing a bell a big church bell and it's swinging back and forth in the tower and it's ringing and if you let go of that rope for some time afterwards that bell will still continue to ring because of the momentum that's the flesh the flesh is the sinful momentum that's left over from who we were it's the wheel ruts that are worn into our lives that god wants us to get out of and so Paul writes and he says that the Spirit of God does war, not with the person that you were. That old person is dead if you're a follower of Christ. 
But the spirit is doing war with the habits of who you used to be. The wheel ruts of who you used to be. The swinging bell momentum, the sinful momentum of who you used to be. So the old person is put to death at the cross. We, by the power of the spirit, crucify the flesh. We nail the flesh to the cross daily. And it never dies. We nail it up there, it keeps trying to crawl off the cross. We nail it up again, it keeps trying to crawl off the cross. So it's a continual process by which we learn how to crucify our flesh by the power of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we looked at this last week, but let me just stress verse 24 as we read through. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We talked last week as well. Joy is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit controlling our lives. And then we have verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're only going to know the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're only going to know that in as much as we are dead to ourselves, In as much as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and we crucify our flesh. That's the only way we're going to live in that way. You can't, can't do them both. Had a guy come to me one time. He said, I've been praying. I just want you to know my flesh and the Holy Spirit both agree on this. And I was like, well, you better watch it because somebody is not in agreement. You're, either, you're not recognizing one of them or both of them. There's a problem there. Your flesh, the sinful remnant of who you once were, is never going to agree with the Holy Spirit. You have to put the flesh to death. The flesh cannot be rehabilitated. You, you, can't, you can't play with it. The flesh, the only thing that we can do to the flesh, according to the word of God, the right thing to do is to nail it to the cross daily, dying to self. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. He writes, for I delight, there's the word again, I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members, that is the parts of his body, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says, I'm in battle. The spirit is battling with the flesh within me. It's not your old nature versus your new nature. No, you've been given a new nature in Christ. It's the habits of who you used to be. It's the remnant of the old person you used to be. That's who's doing the battle. And the Holy Spirit is fighting. And we have to surrender. If we're going to have joy, we have to surrender to the Spirit of God. A number of years ago, whenever I was teaching up in Tennessee, this young lady raised her hand one day in class, and we were talking about things of this nature in one of the Bible classes. And she raised her hand and she said, I have a question. Why bother? I said, why bother with what? She said, why bother to follow Christ in this obedient way? Why bother to crucify my flesh if I'm never going to do it perfectly here? God's going to set it all right one day anyway. So if God's going to set it all right, and God's going to make up all of the things that I did not experience here, then why bother? Why don't we just get saved and then just kind of live like we want to live because we're never going to do it perfectly here? And I said, but what's the goal here? She said, what do you mean? I said, what's the goal here now of following God? She said, perfection. I said, no, it's not perfection. The goal here and now is complete faithfulness. 
Complete commitment. Complete surrender. That's what the goal is. She's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Perfection. So that's not perfection. But it's surrender. It's daily surrendering, faithfully surrendering to God. And there are times that you, how many times do you have to do that? There are times you may have to do that 50 times a day. God, I'm just going to, I have to re-surrender this to you. God, I'm surrendering this to you. Why? Because the flesh, the flesh is so sneaky. You nail the flesh to the cross and the flesh is like, you don't need all the nails. Look, I'll behave. I'll be good. We can get along. We can cooperate. I'll sit over here. I won't cause any trouble. No, don't trust it. We should never trust our flesh. The flesh, as one writer said, the flesh is our built-in law of failure. It's working within us, every single one of us. I had a gentleman one time tell me, he said, I never struggle with the flesh. And I said, well, that's because you must have given into it. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to struggle against the flesh. He said, no, I never have that struggle. I said, well, then let me tell you, you better watch yourself. Because if you're saying you never struggle with the flesh, you never struggle with a sinful desire, you never struggle with putting your expectations above God, you never struggle with that? He said, no, never. And I said, I'm telling you, that's not what the Word of God says. You, you, we don't arrive there. We don't arrive at perfection here. But we do it because there is joy involved with it. There is joy that is involved in crucifying the flesh. I know how weird that statement sounds. But there is joy in that. Because then you experience the presence of God. You experience the power of God. You experience a a clear understanding of the Word of God. There is great delight in that. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about knowledge of the Holy One. And so we find that one of the evidences is that continued surrender to the Spirit of God. Listen to Romans 8, verse 13. Paul writes, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We want to live lives that are pointing toward eternal life. If we're living according to the flesh, we are pointing not toward eternal life, we're pointing toward a life without God. That's what we're pointing toward. And we're not going to have joy there. Which brings us to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We'll close with this. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. That is, his old person is dead and gone. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, now he's talking about flesh and blood. He's not talking about the sinful flesh. He's talking about flesh and blood. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, you want to know how I'm living now? I'm not living for myself. I'm not living by myself. I'm not living by my own power. I'm not living for my own purposes. No, I am living for Christ. Because he's the one who bought me. He's the one who saved me. He's the one who changed me. He's the one who now lives within me. And now I'm living this life, not by my own power. God has not said, well, now you're a Christian, Paul. So now you're on your own. Do the best that you can. No. He says, here is my word. And I'm empowering you by my spirit to obey my word, to follow my command, to follow my leading, to know me, to follow me, to surrender to me daily, regardless of the cost. That is the only way we experience joy. And if you're here this morning and and you have never made a decision to follow Christ, can I tell you there's there's no joy apart from Christ? There's There's no joy apart from Christ. There's no abiding delight that's just going to last forever and ever and ever. It's only found in Christ. And if you're living for anybody other than Christ, you're living for the wrong thing. 
your life doesn't have the, the purpose and the meaning and the direction that God wants it to have because it's to point toward him. It's to be involved with him. It's to, it's to be focused upon him. It's about his glory. It's about his plan. It's about his purpose. He's the Lord of all things. He is the king of the universe. And we're to follow him as such. If you never made that decision, as we've mentioned multiple times this morning, Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a death on a cross in our place for our sin, took the wrath of God upon himself, was buried, was dead, and was raised to life three days later, showing that God received and accepted the fullness of that sacrifice, that it was completely satisfying of God's wrath. And if we come to him, if we surrender our lives to him, if we, if we willfully choose, God, I, I choose to follow you. I'm surrendering my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to delight in Christ. Then he will save you. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've just been living a joyless life. I've been living a life without joy. Could, it, could you look back over those ideas do you have that increasing desire to know god are you are you faithfully obeying the word of god are you continually or daily surrendering to the power of the holy spirit by crucifying the flesh can i just tell you start there god's really clearly put his mark on those things as things that we're going to see in our lives if we're following him with joy if you don't have joy start there that's where god put the mark my prayer is that in the days to come as you get into God's word and as you surrender to him, as your desire for God grows more and more and more, that you will be filled with the joy that comes from God alone through the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. God, we're so thankful for your word. God, you didn't leave us to feel our way along without guidance Father God, you've given us your word, your truth, the authoritative word. And Father, we just pray now, if there's anyone here, anybody watching, listening, either now or later, they've never made a decision to follow you, today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus. They would say no to sin, they would say no to self, and they would surrender to you. Father, I pray for anybody here who may, maybe they're, they've been wrestling through a, a season where they just feel joyless. Father, I pray that you would give them a deep desire to know you. You would give them a love and a delight for your word. That they would seek to obey you, not by their own power, but by the spirit of God who lives within them. And they would surrender daily to the power of the Holy Spirit. Die to self crucify the flesh and surrender fully to the power of the holy spirit within them father i pray for us as a church i pray that you would work in us and make us a joyful people not something that we work up not something we cook up not something we we plan out but lord god a joy that is based upon you that is based upon your word, that is based and rooted in truth and death to self so that we might experience the fullness of life with Christ. Father, I pray for anybody here that maybe, maybe they've been wrestling through that, wrestling with that. I pray that today would be the day that they would say, Lord God, work in me 
that joy. I want to live with that abiding delight by abiding in Christ. So, Father, may we always see Jesus as the, the reward. May we see Jesus as the point. May we see Jesus as the goal. Not all the things that come because we follow Christ, but Christ alone. He is our life. He is our hope. He is truth. And in him we find all our joy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.